Chapter One of the Belgian Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Geisel. The Belgian Twins by Lucy Fitch Perkins. Chapter One, The Harvest Field. It was late in the afternoon of a long summer's day in Belgium. Father Van Hove was still at work in the harvest field. Though the sun hung so low in the west that his shadow, stretching far across the level green plain, reached almost to the little red-roofed house on the edge of the village which was its home. Another shadow, not so long, and quite a little broader, stretched itself beside his, for Mother Van Hove was also in the field, helping her husband to load the green sheaves upon an old blue farm cart which stood nearby. There was also two short, fat shadows which bobbed briskly about over the green meadow as their owners danced among the wheat sheaves, or carried handfuls of fresh glass to Pierre, the patient white farm horse hitched to the cart. These gay shadows belonged to Jan and Marie, sometimes called by their parents by Janka and me for short. Jan and Marie were the twin son and daughter of father and mother Van Hove, and though they were but eight years old, they were already quite used to helping their father and mother with the work of their little farm. They knew how to feed the chickens and hunt the eggs and lead Pierre to water and pull weeds in the garden. In the spring they had even helped sow the wheat and barley, and now in the late summer they were helping to harvest the grain. The children had been in the field since sunrise but not all of the long bright day had been given to labor. Early in the morning their father's pitchfork had uncovered a nest of field mice, and the twins had made another nest, as much like the first as possible, to put the homeless field babies in, hoping that their mother would find them again and resume her interrupted housekeeping. Then they had played for a long time in a tiny canal which separated the wheat field from the meadow where Belle, their black and white cow, was pastured. There was also Fidel, the dog, their faithful companion and friend. The children had followed him on many excursions among the willows along the river bank, for Fidel might at any moment come upon the rabbit or water rat that he was always seeking, and what a pity it would be for Jan and Marie to miss a sight like that. When the sun was high overhead, the whole family, Fidel also, had rested under a tree by the little river and Jan and Marie had shared with their father and mother the bread and cheese which had been brought from home for their noon meal. Then they had taken a nap in the shade, for it is a long day that begins and ends with the midsummer sun. The bees hummed so drowsily in the clover that Mother Van Hove also took forty winks, while Father Van Hove led Pierre to the river for a drink and tied him where he could enjoy the rich meadow grass for a while. And now the long day was nearly over. The last level rays of the disappearing sun glistened on the red roofs of the village, and the windows of the little houses gave back an answering flash of light. On the steeple of the tiny church the gilded cross shone like fire against the gray of the eastern sky. The village clock struck seven, and was answered faintly by the sound of the distant chimes from the cathedral of Moline, miles away across the plain. For some time Father Van Hove had been standing on top of the load, catching the sheaths which Mother Van Hove 
tossed up to him, and stowing them away in the farm wagon, which was already heaped high with the golden grain. As the clock struck, he paused in his labor, took off his hat, and wiped his brow. He listened for a moment to the music of the bells, glanced at the western sky already rosy with promise of the sunset, and at the weathercock above the cross on the church steeple. Then he looked down at the sheaths of wheat, still standing like tiny tents across the field. "'It's no use, mother,' he said at last. "'We cannot pull it all in tonight. But the sky gives promise to a fair day tomorrow, and the weathercock also points east. We can finish in one more load.' let us go home now the clock struck seven said jan i counted the strokes what a scholar is our jantka laughed his mother as she lifted the last sheath of wheat on her fork and tossed it at father van hove's feet he can count to seven when it is supper time as for me i do not need a clock i can tell the time of day by the ache of my bones and besides that there is bell in the pasture bars waiting to be milked and bellowing to call me I don't need a clock either, chimed in Marie, patting her apron tenderly. I can tell time by my stomach. It is a hundred years since we ate our lunch. I know it is. Come then, my starvelings, said Mother Van Hove, pinching Marie's fat cheek, and you shall save your strength by riding home on the load. Come, mummy, up you go. She swung Marie into the air as she spoke. Father Van Hove, reaching down from his perch on top of the load, caught her in his arms and enthroned her upon the fragrant grain. "'And now it is your turn, my Yanka,' cried Mother Van Hove. "'And you shall ride on the back of old Pierre like a soldier going up to the wars.' She lifted Jan to the horse's back, while Father Van Hove climbed down to earth once more and took up the reins. Fidel came back dripping wet from the river, shook himself, and fell in behind the wagon. "'You! You!' cried father van hove to old pierre and the little procession moved slowly up the cart path toward the shining windows of the red-roofed house the home of the van hoves lay on the very outskirts of the little hamlet of mare beside it ran a yellow ribbon of road which stretched across the green plain near the city of Malines. as they turned from the cart path into the road the old blue cart became part of a little profession of similar wagons, for the other men of Mare were also late in coming home to the village from their outlying farms. "'Good evening, neighbor,' cried Father Van Hove to Father Moss, whose home lay beyond his in the village. "'How are your crops coming in?' "'Never better,' answered Father Moss. "'I have more wheat to the acre than ever before.' "'So have I.' Thanks be to the good God, answered Father Van Hove. The winter will find our barns full this year. Yes, replied Father Moss a little sadly. That is, if we have no bad luck. But Jules von der House was in the city yesterday and heard rumors of a German army on our borders. It is very likely only an idle tale to frighten the women and children, but Jules says there are men also who believe it. I shall believe nothing of the sort, said Father Van Hove stoutly. Are we not safe under the protection of our treaty? No, no, neighbor. There is nothing to fear. Belgium is neutral ground. I hope you may be right, answered Father Maas, cracking his whip, and the cart moved on. Mother Van Hove, meanwhile, had hastened ahead of the cart to stir up the kitchen fire and put the kettle on before the others should reach home. And when Father Van Hove at last drove into the farmyard, she was already on the way to the pasture barns with her milk pail in her arm. 
Set the table for supper, Mummy, she called back, and do not let the pot boil over. Jan, you may shut up the fowls. They have already gone to roost. And what shall I do, Mother? laughed Father Van Hove. You, she called back, you may unharness Pierre and turn him out to the pasture for the night, and I'll wager I shall be back with a full milk pail before you've even so much as fed the pig, let alone the other chores. Men are so slow. She waved her hand gaily and disappeared behind the pasture bars as she spoke. Hurry now, my man, said Father Van Hove to Jan. We must not let Mother beat us. We will let the cart stand right there near the barn, and tomorrow we can store the grain away to make room for a new load. I will let you lead Pierre to the pasture while I feed the pig myself. By her squeals she is hungry enough to eat you up in one mouthful. End of chapter 1 Recording by Lynette Geisel